G'day gentlemen, hope you're having a great one. Glad to be able to come with you and uh, jump into the Word again uh, as we do our next men's Bible study. Uh, this week we're going to be talking about men as we are, by God's design, teachers. Men as the teacher. Uh, we see this all throughout scripture and we're going to jump into a whole bunch of scriptures and sort of look at the biblical pattern of all of this, but I want to encourage you. This is your first one. Uh, we're right way through the series now, so jump back to the beginning and make sure you, you get all the prior ones. They're going to really set up the tone and the, um, the, the context for what we're doing. And again, uh, the, the reminder is that if, if you're doing this alone, but you've got other guys in your life, maybe housemates who are Christian dudes or uh, younger brothers or sons or uh, something like that, then I want to encourage you to be doing it with them, uh, sending it to them, talking about it, praying about it, and uh, coming back with questions or comments or anything like that, uh, so that this might be a time of, of uh, unity, not just a solace, and that this would be a, uh, a exercise in growing together, not just alone. That's when men do their best work, iron on iron, shaving and uh, sharpening each other, uh, all to the glory of God. So <clears throat> that would be my encouragement. But yeah, today we're going to be talking about men, mankind, or the male species. We are a bit of a species unto ourselves. Um, the, 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 the male gender, men, human beings created in God's image as men as it pertains to being teachers. And you might not feel like you're the sort of person who is a good teacher or a teacher at all, or that you ever listened to a teacher, uh, or that you're even very teachable. But you are, if you're a man, you have been called by God to teach. That is a large part of who you are and what you are called to do. So uh, that's either good news or bad news, depending on your gifting, but we'll see it's good news in Jesus Christ. Uh, this goes back to, if we remember Adam and Eve in the garden and how we spoke of Adam as having that threefold office that we then said Jesus fulfilled of prophet, priest, and king, and we see that fleshed out in the Old Testament, and we see Jesus fulfill it in the New Testament, uh, especially throughout the book of Hebrews. But we see that uh, as uh, prophet, priest, and king, Adam was sort of sent to do different things. Uh, prophet, he was to bring the word of God to Eve, like the prophets of the Old Testament would then do. Uh, as a priest, he was to sort of mediate the presence of God and the worship of God. He was really to pastor his family and the world that would come in the Garden of Eden. He was to bring the presence of God to Eve and Eve to his his Lord uh, in worship. Uh, and he was also to be king, that is the ruler, the, the sovereign uh, dominator over all the garden to bring it to order and to uh, extend its borders. And of course, all of those things came to fail and be redeemed again in Jesus. But the particular one that teacher falls under is really quite specifically that role of prophet, that he was to be the one to take the word of God. And we see this in the fact that God didn't tell Eve the command not to eat the tree. Uh, eat the tree. Don't eat the tree. Also, don't eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, God didn't tell that to Eve. He told that to Adam. It was then Adam's responsibility to tell Eve, which he did. Uh, but, but when she misquotes uh, him or the Lord to the devil when she sort of adds to the quotation and doesn't quite get it right and she's now starting to get tricked and, and deceived by the serpent. Adam is back there and we read in the book of 1 Timothy that Adam was never deceived. He knew what the Lord had said. He didn't believe what the devil was saying. He just went along with it anyway. That was an opportunity for him to come in as prophet, come in as 
teacher and lay down the word of God again, fighting with that sword of the word of God to take the dragon, take that Satan out of the garden, away from his wife and away from the perfect world God had made him uh, protector over. Well, he didn't do it. The world has now fallen. We are dead in Adam, but alive in Christ. And so we want to go through and look at what it means for us to be redeemed men, forgiven of our sin, trusting in Jesus Christ by faith, indwelt by the Holy Spirit to the glory of the Father, what that looks like as us men teach our children, our wives and girlfriends. Now, if you are single, don't worry about that. Uh, That's easily said, isn't it? Uh, Now, get a wife, that'd be great. But what I mean is, um, don't worry, don't think that uh, being single means you're not called to teach or that your ability to teach is is waste if you've got it. Um, of course, there in the in the church, there is uh, a multitude of ways that people should be teaching and discipling and mentoring and all of, you know, give it whatever word you want, communicating truth from the word of God to brothers and sisters and people um, that they're ministering to. Uh, but really, the, the biblical picture of men is... The, comes with the expectation that all will be husbands and fathers eventually. Given enough time and uh, 99 something percent of dudes will marry uh, in the Bible and that's the, the expectation. Uh, it really is a, um, uh, an exception, a rare exception when somebody is called by God to remain single um, for their life and that's not a bad thing, that's a glorious thing because it's God's calling. Uh, but it's rare. So if you're single but you desire marriage, likely chances you're going to get married at some point. And so now is the time for preparing, for sowing into that, for investing, for thinking about the future. <clears throat> um, so in Deuteronomy chapter 6, for example, so God has saved the Israelites from uh, Egypt and has brought them through the desert and uh, is promising to take them into the land flowing with milk and honey in Canaan. Uh, and, uh, and, and Deuteronomy 6, I'm trusting you're turning to, uh, God then is, is laying down the law, laying down his commandments, his covenant. Uh, he says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, <clears throat> it says verse 4, this is one of the, this is like the Old Testament, John 3, 16. Every Jewish kid knew this one off by heart. This is a very common, even, even greeting and blessing. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. It's very familiar. That's repeated in the New Testament. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach... Now, see, this is not a separate chapter, separate book on how to parent. Right? This is how you be a good Israelite and this is how you parent seven chapters later. No. If you're a man, if you're a mature adult Israelite worshipping God then the very next step is how that's passing through you onto your children. It's really quite uh, amazing. So let them be on your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children. Those are, those are, that's next step. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now what we see here is this this lifestyle uh, 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 constancy of diligent teaching to our children. If they love God as they've been told and that commandment is on their heart, they will be diligently teaching their children. 
And this means, before we go on to the rest of what we're going to say today, this means that you and I, if we are not being intentional about looking for opportunities to teach the word and doctrine and gospel and commandments of God to our children, to our wife, to our fiance, to our girlfriend, to anybody around us who God has given to us to faithfully minister to, if we're not seeking intentionally how to communicate truth, we are not uh, living out a mature manhood. Teaching is that important. Now that doesn't mean if there's a silent point in the room, you're always interjecting with some uh, uh, theological piece of trivia. You're always jumping in to always be the voice that is heard. That is not what we are saying. But we are meaning that we are always ready to teach and that we live a lifestyle of constant diligence in bringing the Word of God to bear on everyday life for those that God has given to us to minister to. <clears throat> and you'll see that even in that passage, there are elements that are very uh, organized and then more organic. Uh, you'll see that he's saying, um, teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. You can imagine this being, come sit down, dad's going to teach, we're learning uh, some more of the Bible. Okay, this is uh, this is Sunday afternoon family time. This is Monday night family worship. This is in the morning before you go to school, let's do a devotions, that sort of time. But then it gets a lot more organic as well. So really organized, some parts, and then other times, very organic. It just sort of comes up. It's And when you uh, walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, it's just so constant that it's a lifestyle. It's not weird that dad's sitting us down to talk about the Bible. You know, what's he really trying to get at? This is strange. This is just life. My dad loves the Bible, loves God. He's constantly talking. That's, that, that's biblical manhood. And of course, again, if you're not a father, not a husband, then just picture this for the future and, and seek after becoming that kind of man and God will uh, take care of the rest. <clears throat> but then we can go a little bit further because it says down in verse 20, God still speaking this commandment then says, and when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Right, so in other words, kids are being kids. They're going to ask, why in the world is he dressed like that? Why does he move like that in a sanctuary? Why do we have this big picture over here and this why? Why are we killing so many lambs? What's with all the stuff written on the scrolls? Right, that's all some pretty good questions if you really think about how the Jews are living out the, their religious life. And it's a good, we, we expect that as Christians as well. Dad, why are you waking me up on Sunday mornings to go and sit in church and listen to some dude pretty averagely preach out of an old book? Dad, why you got such a big leather-bound book that you're always reading? Uh, Dad, why we, why are you guys eating bread and drinking little, little uh, sippy cups of juice on Sunday mornings? Dad, why is that guy just getting drowned by the pastor? Oh, he's led him back up out of the water again. This is strange. We get that as Christians. Why this? Why that? What's going on? And we expect that as from the kids. But you want to be ready at that point to do what the Lord then says. <clears throat> then, verse 21, You shall say to your son, Well, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And he showed signs and wonders, great deliverances. And he'll go through and explain redemption. And say then down in <clears throat> verse 24, and the Lord commanded us to do all these things, all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be our righteousness for us 
if we are careful to do all the commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Now, of course, we have, we have a better redemption to tell our kids about. Well, we were slaves to sin and mum and dad got saved and, and you can be saved too. And, 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 and he's commanded that we live after his likeness in, in this world, you know. And, and this is why we go to church and worship. And this is why we evangelize. And this is why I read my Bible. And, and of course, if your lifestyle is constant in teaching, it doesn't have to get to the point when they're 15 and asking what church is. Of course, but you are ready always to give that answer. And I want to show specifically at the end of uh, verse 24 and 5 there, it wasn't just teaching that was intellectual. The father didn't just say by God's commandment, well, this is what happened. This is why we do this. Right? That's just church history. That's easy. Well, uh, because the Bible says that Jesus died and that's why we go down into the water and come up and he shed his blood. And that's why there's, there's a, a red drink called wine that we take and his body was bruised and that's why we have bread. And well, this book is a, is a really collection of 66 books that we have explained to us because it's God's word. It's not only intellectual, it then became practical and exhortation to the child. See, he said, and so the Lord commanded us to do this, and it will be our righteousness if we do this. We ought to do this. This is our life. This is the word of God given to us. So there's exhortation and practical um, imploring of the children uh, to come along and believe this also. And as he's also showing, number two, how, how good it is. He's not just saying, well, here's the dry truths, you know, and recite off all the things you've memorized and make them learn it as well, like a, like a, you know, one of the Catholic nuns with a cane. Now, this is awesome. We are joyful. We are gloriously happy in the fact that God has redeemed us. It's good for us. It's life for us. It's righteousness for us. This is the covenant of the Lord our God. So that's the picture right from the beginning of the nation of Israel. And, and, and then uh, a few hundred years later, you'll pick up with uh, Solomon in the book of Proverbs. And I'm not going to read uh, big chunks of Proverbs, but if you were to skim through, as I'm about to do, you would find some uh, very common language. The book of Proverbs is from a father with his wife toward a son, writing instruction and wisdom. So uh, read your sons, the book of Proverbs. Read your daughters, the book of Proverbs. But but can, this is just some of the examples of what it says. Uh, the, chapter 1, verse 9 Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching. Chapter 2 starts with, My son, if you receive my words, treasure my commandments. Chapter 3 starts with, My son, do not forget my teaching. Chapter 4 starts with, Hear, O sons, a father's instructions. Uh, following uh, my insight. Chapter 5 starts with, My son, be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding. Chapter 6 starts with, My son, if you have put up... Uh, you know, and then he teaches him about money and whatnot. Uh, chapter verse 20 of 6. My son, keep your father's commandment, forsake not your mother's teaching. Chapter 7. My son, keep your my words and treasure them up. So, so of course, this is just the theme. The, the biblical man, the wise man, the spirit-filled man is teaching the Word of God to anyone God has given to him. And the most usual sphere of that is father to children. So this is part of what it is to be a man. Teaching, explaining, bringing the Word of God through our mouth, from our heart, by the Spirit, to those around us. Go now to chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. 14 of 1 Corinthians... And we're going to 
well, read something that's pretty weird, uh, and then see the principle behind it and what it's alluding to. <clears throat> Might be a bit of a strange place to go if we're talking about husband's teaching, but you'll see why we go there. First Corinthians chapter 14, Paul is talking all about spiritual gifts in the church and he's just been speaking about prophesying and when men and women pray and prophesy in the church, though only men it would be teaching authoritatively. He then also says um, in verse 33, at the end of verse 33, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. Now, that doesn't mean that they're not allowed to make a noise and we, you know, put a mask over their mouth so that we don't hear them sneeze and whatnot when they come into church. No. Uh, what it means here is he's specifically talking in this context about um, though only men can be preachers and only men can be the elders, uh, it, women can, in the book of Corinth, he says, women can prophesy, receive a word from the Lord and speak it in the congregation. They can pray publicly. But what they're not permitted to do is then when it comes time to weigh up the prophecies and question them uh, and bring scripture to bear on them with authority, uh, women are not to be doing that. They're not to be uh, standing up and questioning men's uh, prophecies and engaging in dialogue in a, in a teaching way in that respect. That's Paul's commandment. He rather says, uh, for they are not permitted to speak at that time in the, in the congregation. Uh, they're not permitted to speak, but should be in submission. So they're there to learn. They're there to submit to the word of God. And uh, as the law also says, if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Again, he's talking about that context of, of speaking up in order to um, uh, question uh, the prophecy given. Now, what's going on in the background, though, is Paul saying, it's great for a gal to learn. It's great for a gal to know her scripture. However, it is inappropriate for uh, that to be happening in, in that in that in the church service like that where she's speaking up she's asking questions she's bringing things to bear on on the prophecy that's that, a, that another person has brought rather let the men do that let the men question each other let the men uh, question the word brought by even another woman uh, but the gals who should want to learn should be in submission listening to the to the husbands ask and question and conclude with things and if they have things to ask and learn they can they should do it at home now the assumption in the background and i wonder how this would look if you were in the church of corinth receiving that letter how would you and how would your wife feel or how would she look at you as she hears the words of the apostle paul saying if you have anything to learn ask your husband at home would you shuffle in your seat a little bit take a big gulp blush, look embarrassed, hide your face, because you know that it will do no good to your wife to ask you at home anything. You're not the kind of guy who can teach us that. You wanted to ask all the dudes at church. You wanted to just have a really good relationship with YouTube where she can Google and YouTube all of her questions because you don't have anything for her. But that is, is, is shameful, but that's a, that's a bad picture. Uh, that, that, that would lead to disobedience in one way or another in the in the church of Corinth and to us. Uh, the, the wife is supposed to go home and ask her husband. Now she'll be shunned there. She'll be neglected there. She won't get her, 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 her teaching, her answers. So is she then to go and disobey and ask uh, 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 loudly and in the middle of the service at church? No, she'll not do that. So she'll be, she'll really be, uh, uh, 
uh, malnourished in terms of her teaching, not because she can't read the Bible herself and she doesn't have the Holy Spirit and she can't read her own things, but God's ordained means for the wife to receive a great deal of her pastoral and theological teaching is through her husband. So we want to talk uh, a bit about this. We'll go through some through some steps here before we wrap up. So before we uh, we move on, let this emphasis land on us that while we're talking about men as teachers, and this can be in the local church, in your small group, in your fellowship group, your Bible study, your evangelistic group, <clears throat> uh, uh, to your sons, it, it needs to start with your wife, your, your girlfriend, your fiance, your wife. They need to know uh, of course, in different levels of authority and whatever, depending on the relationship up until marriage. But they need to know you are somebody they can come to with questions, with thoughts, with critiques, uh, with, with concerns, uh, with Bible passages. And you can either know what to say or know at least it's your responsibility to know what to say. So, so you are saying, look, babe, I don't know what that means. Really? No clue. Uh, but I'm going to figure out for you. I'm going to go to my Bible study, uh, my study Bible. I'm going to read. I'm going to ask the pastor. I'm going to Google, uh, rec- you know, good resources. I'm going to do some study and come back and we'll talk about this so that we have a, a good answer in our family. And we've got this good working relationship of teacher and learner. <clears throat> so it is not a shame ever for our wife to teach us something, but it's a shame if we are not the resident pastor in our own home as the prophet over our family for our wife. <clears throat> so moving on from wives, though, uh, of course, we've continually been saying this This applies to, to children or, or your offspring. And I want to say, number one, when we speak to children, it should not be dumbed down truth for young kids. Um, it's a joy to be trying to teach my son uh, some basic question and answers about God. And I know he's not getting much of it at all yet. Maybe some bits. <clears throat> uh, maybe he's only two but but it's the teaching method that I use when I'm at church preaching um, on the street evangelizing uh, in a Bible study explaining compared to sitting next to his bed and and teaching is entirely different the methods just change immensely and, and you know that if you've ever been a teacher or had to try and uh, teach people who are younger than you um, but while things with our children should be simplified and changed and the methods might be uh, uh, more intentional and, and need to be specified, we don't dumb down the truth. Right? We don't just tell them, well, basically there's three gods and one of them became a man, you know, you know uh, just to make it all simpler on us to explain. We, we need kids to know that there are such things as mysteries and paradoxes and and when we talk about God, God's big. The truth about God will be big and hard to wrap our minds around. Uh, kids learn. I mean, your kids are able to learn, you know, that in some places they've got them by the, uh, you know, grade two, they're learning French and Spanish and Chinese. Uh, kids have an amazing ability to learn, but they only learn what we teach them. So don't dumb things down, give it to them in, in truth, uh, but, but be constant with them and diligent with them and, and uh, make it age appropriate in order to bring truth to them. Uh, otherwise, they'll be highly confused and easily misled when they're older if we gave them dumbed down truth. And I find when we, when we do that, it's then hard to know when to stop 
And by the time they're 15, we're still talking to them like they're theological 10 or 12 year olds. And then we're sort of behind the ball game and we've insulted their intelligence really. And we have not uh, aimed high in order to pull them up. We've aimed low and therefore uh, kept them lower than their potential. So that, that would be one point of advice. Um, secondly, uh, we want to, <clears throat> I want to point out that in Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says to the husbands, to the fathers, he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And that sounds like a weird couplet, a weird two things to say. Don't provoke them to anger. Okay, probably don't, you know, don't poke them with a stick. No, that's not an absolute rule. That can be fun as a dad. Uh, well, don't poke them with a stick just to make them angry all the time. Okay, <laughs> Don't push them in the pool just to make them angry. No, but it's not really talking about that because he says the flip side is raising them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. So what, what he's really saying here is, uh, I think what it means, with some reading and commentaries, I think what he means when he's saying, do not provoke them to anger, is don't give to them, like we read in Deuteronomy 6, lots of commands, lots of tasks, lots of requirements without a relational, loving, fatherly explanation of the gospel of Jesus. You know, if we teach our kids rules, requirements, and standards, but we don't give to them the grace that the Father has given to us. We don't explain to them the gospel that God has made known to us. We are just setting this impossibly high bar. We're punishing them when they fail, and they will be provoked to anger. So when we are actually, the other reason is when, if, if they ask, hey, why do we do these things? Why do you want me to come to church on a Sunday? Why that's so important? Why can't I go out with my mates on a Sunday morning? Uh, and we say, shut up, just do it, I'm your dad. That's provoking them to anger. They've just asked, why do we do this thing? Like we're told they will in Deuteronomy. And we've told them, don't ask. Whereas we should be there to say, well, this is why. Here's the, the scriptural reasons as to why we do these things. Let me teach you and inform you so that your obedience is based on, um, on truth. Because I've taught you, not just commanded and disciplined you. And so we can have a relationship with our kids that is not provoked to anger of rules, but rather informed decision-making, helping them know the truth of God. <clears throat> Next we can see... Um, uh, actually, before we go, I sort of got a point here to make that <coughs> often when we talk about this, men being teachers to wives and then husbands and wives to kids, often charged with indoctrination. Like, you know, man, you're just not giving your kids a choice to learn what they want to learn, not giving them a choice. Why don't you wait till they're 16? And if they want to be a Christian, then you can teach them how to be a Christian. Um, uh, and to that, we say, to, to the claim of that's indoctrination, you should stop it is, yeah, yeah, it is indoctrination. And we won't stop it. That's what we're commanded to do. And we're going to take back that word indoctrination and use it in a good biblical sense. Indoctrination is not mind torture where we, you know, re-education camps. Uh, indoctrination literally just, doctrine means truth. Uh, we're just in-truthing them. We're, 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 we're truthinating them. That's, that's a good thing. Like, what, what should we do? Uh, fill them with lies and fill them with worldly thoughts and sinful, evil things? No, we actually believe what was said in Deuteronomy. We actually believe this is our righteousness, our good, and our life, and our love. This is great. I'm going to teach you the good things of the Lord that I've been commanded to teach. Don't be apologetic about that. Raise up warriors who know the truth of God. Because if we don't, 
It's not as if they're not going to get indoctrinated. They will be. It's just either by us with good truth or by the world with deadly lies. That's your choice as a father. So, yeah, indoctrination is a good thing. It's called discipleship. <clears throat> so, um, uh, if, if this is something that we are prone, if maybe, maybe you're prone to really not be quite a, uh, quite fulfilling this role as a man in your household or maybe in your relationship or your marriage, wherever you're at, uh, we need to realize that this really is serious. Um, if we were to t- take another element of parenting or or hus- being a husband and sort and and remove it, like providing um, instead of spiritual food, just providing physical food. If a father wasn't doing that, we would call that neglect. If a husband was not bringing money home for his wife to be able to spend on groceries, we would call that neglect of financial abuse. Uh, and so we need to think that this is. A high responsibility. We are made to be the glory of God, and that comes with immense responsibility. Part of that is teaching. And it's not just all pretty. It's not as well, we do it or we don't, and when we do, it's great. If we don't, we're committing neglectful abuse towards our children and our wife. We need to take that seriously. We need to be active on this, stepping into it, trusting the Lord that He will help us overcome our failures, our fears and our weaknesses. Uh, Ezekiel 34 is an indictment against the false prophets of the Old Testament who did not teach the people. So they wandered around without truth. They didn't know their God. They walked into sin. They lived under the abuse of lies, deception, and idolatry because the people who were given to them to teach them just wouldn't teach them. And that is not It doesn't say that they didn't know the theology, that they didn't know the truth, they didn't have the scriptures. It says they failed to pass it on to the people. So let us not be fathers or husbands or boyfriends or brothers who are like that. I want to sort of last here, that um, uh, 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 end here, that this really is what Adam failed to do. This was at the very root of Adam's uh, sin. When we said before that the devil came in, uh, spoke to the wife, as a false teacher, like the world does, comes in and whispers in the ear of the the wife and the children and tells them things about God that are not true. His laws are just so, so overbearing and they they lead to death. I mean, God's trying to keep you down and he doesn't want you to become a God like you will if you sin. Uh, God doesn't want you to flourish. He wants you to crumble. and, And here comes the world. Here comes the devil in with all of these lies. Adam needed to stand in take out the sword and fight it off with the word of God, saying this is our life. We will live forever in the garden if we do this. If we break this commandment, we will die. Surely believe the word of God over the temptation of the world and the devil. Uh, and, And where he failed to do that, through cowardice, he didn't want to step in all awkwardly and play the authority card and teach his wife. I mean, she seemed pretty set on getting that fruit. And, you know, he knows how she can get when he has to oppose her and say he doesn't do it. He sort of, he just cowards out, lets her do what she thinks is best for her. Um, you know, she's an egalitarian after all. And, and he doesn't want to go and oppose the devil because that's a big fight that he's not sure if he can take on. Um, uh, he didn't believe the fact that if God gave me this commandment, gave me this responsibility in the garden, then he will come and also uh, help and fight for me. He, he didn't dare to believe that. And so through cowardice and love of the world, he let his wife sin. And that was his sin to take with her and join when he should have taught and instructed and led and protected. And friends, what Adam has failed to do, Jesus has done. 
Jesus came not just as the one who teaches the word, but he did. But he came as the word itself incarnate, the very commandments of God, which are righteousness. Jesus is our righteousness. He came and he lived perfectly. And, and he said the awkward, the embarrassing, the, the unpopular truths. He spoke like Adam didn't. He spoke out against Israel, against the false prophets, against the false teachers, against the devil, against the sinners, against sin itself. He, he spoke to his wife, his bride, in a very strong, abrupt way for her salvation. He spoke to her tenderly. He spoke to her firmly. He spoke to her gently. He spoke to her loudly. Um, and he did that out of love for her. Now, it got him killed. It got him ki- Not speaking to his wife, not teaching, got Adam killed. Teaching his wife got Jesus killed. But he died for us. Adam was trying to avoid death and got it. Jesus was trying to, uh, was willing to take on death And by that, he lived and gives life to us. So now, while you may be fearful of your ability to teach, open up scripture, explain it, do devotions with the kids and the wife and uh, and pastor in that way, while you may be afraid of that, Jesus, who is given to us, can help us be a lot less like Adam and a lot more like himself. He's given his spirit to lead us to be like him, to teach like him, to lead like him, to know the word which is him and to know the Bible which is about him and to explain it to our children which are given to us and our wife given to us to one day eventually give back to him as mature disciples. Uh, we're told in Ephesians 5 that God, that Jesus Christ washes his bride, that's the church, with the water and the word. It's your job as a husband. Be cleansing, sanctifying your family through the water and the word, teaching and purifying. Um, and where we fail to do that, we, we need to repent, we need to bring it to Jesus and pray for strength. So there's going to be um, some very practical, helpful, because I want this to be super practical, um, some links and articles and videos and books and podcasts and stuff down in the uh, description underneath this video. And some of those are just resources that you can get teaching on so that then you have some, you know, get you're learning more and more as you're driving your truck and as you're doing your chores and whatever else. So there's going to be some, uh, some resources to uh, devour just for learning theology and Bible teaching. <clears throat> Uh, to better equip you as a teacher. And then there's going to be some specific uh, assistance, uh, things to assist you on how to actually lead your family in um, uh, in these times. Some of them really organized family worship. If, you're, if you think that singing songs, praying and going through Bible uh, scriptures with your kids will be helpful, uh, or maybe uh, there, there will be uh, other resources there that are more helpful for organic things and, and how to... Um, uh, uh, walk with them in discipleship as a lifestyle, there'll be some for that. So uh, keep an eye out, go and access those, ask more questions to uh, the pastors and uh, may God bless you, keep you, protect you and help you as you seek to obey the word of God. See you later, gentlemen.